0: Let's get back to the action on the Keystone Kickoff Show, brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone.
1: And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It's quarter number three. I'm Jim Galante, along with Dustin Hawkinsmith, and we are continuing. Our segments, our show about the Penn State football team from the 1960s. This is the first uh, show that we're going to do on the history. We're going to hit the 70s and 80s, and we'll we'll take it on up to today's team. And in quarter number two, we talked about the stadium, Dusty, and you know I hope people weren't bored by that, but I just thought the stadium is such an important element to the history of Penn State football. And such a major step happened at the beginning of the 60s with the moving from Beaver Field to Beaver Stadium. But going on the field, no offense to the teams that were in the first half of the decade, but the real changeover, the real history maker, started in the second half of the decade in 1966 where this young whippersnapper of a coach by the name of Joe Paterno took over for Rip Engel. And, you know, we we were talking between segments about re- relating what happened then to what happens now, and you made that change over to the assistant coach. In today's world, would the media, would the fans, would anyone be excited about this assistant coach by the name of Joe Paterno taking over?
0: I don't think anybody is excited about... Uh, an internal candidate being promoted to a head coach like that for, for a program like this, where they are now. And I understand it was a little bit different back then, but you know, my feeling about when Rip Engel before he retired uh, Penn state was kind of a a blossoming nationally relevant program. Um, And so to take that now and to say, let's say James Franklin retires and Terry Smith is promoted to head coach, you know, a, a long time assistant who would be thrilled about that. You know, in modern times, uh, the promotion of Joe Paterno, it might it, it would still happen. You still see this happen. But, you know, the the coaching searches are circus acts now as much as anything. And back then you were able to kind of do that and, and pick and choose. And, you know, you didn't really have so much intermingling that. It didn't seem like the norm to go across the country or something and hire uh, Rip Angle's um, replacement. So, yeah, I think it will be certainly different times, and I don't know if anybody would be super excited about Joe Paterno. I was looking at, you know, early in his tenure and trying to figure out, okay, how patient would fans have to be in modern times, the the times of impatience. And he didn't make fans wait very long, you know, and I think one of the things that he did was uh, he added his own – personal touch to things and he, he got aggressive with it and kind of helped take this program that was yes nationally relevant but not nationally impactful and he made some adjustments early and they just took off so quickly um, it's, it seems like he, he inherited a program that was on pretty solid footing and good players and he just added his personal touch to it and this is what we have now uh, this was to me, the foundation, somebody who kept, you know, I was born in 1982. Uh, not, not that this is the beginning of Penn state football. Not that this was the beginning of Penn state being good, but it was the beginning, the early stages, the foundation being built when Paterno took over pretty quickly, building a
1: foundation to what we have now. He did. And interestingly, that first year, the 66 season was a five and five season. <laughs> and then in, um, sixty seven they lost their first game, and it was to Navy. And you talked about national relevance. Back then, football was very regional. and Eastern football was not well respected. So even if you were the best team in the region, if the region's the east, it wasn't that big a deal. But Penn State in sixty seven his second season, they lost their first game. And interestingly enough, that's when he started to make changes. And for many of us who uh, remember Paterno through the years, one of the big complaints has always been he's fiercely to a fault loyal to the upperclassmen. What's funny is in that second year, well, he bailed out of the upperclassmen, went to the youngsters, and they beat Miami that second week. The following week in week three, they lost a very close game to number three ranked UCLA and then didn't lose again for three more seasons.
0: Yeah, how about that? And it, it, it's such a you know the Joe Paterno that that you know younger fans might remember from the from the early 2000s is uh, of exactly that. Uh, being so loyal to, to older players and not really um, giving freshmen a shot so often. Um that sort of changed. I think two well, two thousand five was was um, you know, a history making kind of year in all in all kinds of ways. But you know from from that, he kind of made a jump into modern football culture and said, okay, if we're gonna win, we gotta do it with the young guys. where that's exactly how th- he got his start. Um, what was it? Seven sophomores uh, got got their got their turns up and uh, and we saw what happened. But to think, you know, he was he was five and six. In his first 11 games and then things just changed completely and I think that's what um you know maybe it's just like a a culture and a trendsetter and and telling older players like nothing's taken for granted you know I'm a new coach uh we're, we're gonna do some new things and you're gonna have to earn your job every single week and I, w- I would suspect with a, a team like that that's kind of what made
1: a big difference and they built it around defense but before I get th- does that change over not make you think of uh, Penn State-Minnesota after James Franklin was 2-2 two and two, to start that season? In the prior two seasons, they were like 7-6, and six, and then they just took off. So there, there's a not a lot of analogies from then to now, and you'll hear us use terms, the 31-game um, unbeaten streak. There was a tie in there in the bowl game, so they finished the 67 season 8-2-1, and one, a tie in the bowl game. Yes, they had ties, and they were only playing 10 regular season games, and that was a prelude to what happened in 68 and 69. And I want to make another analogy going forward, Dustin, and we'll hit these as we hit the other decades, but in 81-85-93, there was, it was very similar take on that. They were years before either national championships or undefeated seasons. You sensed how they finished that prior year was leading to something bigger. And that
0: was what the 1967 season. Whenever yes. that's when that's when Paterno made the changes. That's when they sort of went on this tear and got people excited. And now suddenly you went from you know you had a team that was pretty consistently churning out your seven and threes and your six, threes and ones and, and teams that were pretty good to now a whole different ball game uh, of, of football, uh, a whole different. And, and I think just, you know, as, as football is starting to become a little bit less of a regional thing over this stretch um, Penn state really put its brand out there and its brand that was built for 40 or 50 years after that was about the same things. It was about running the football and playing hard-nosed defense and, and uh, kind of taking over the, the tempo of games. Um, they've been doing the same things ever, ever since. And it was all built, you know, the foundation for that in this late 60s stretch where, where they became the, the, the program that everybody knows who they are now.
1: Exactly. And now how good was that defense back then? Glad you asked, Dustin in 1968's undefeated team, okay? They allowed more than 20 points twice all season. How's that for pretty good? Yeah, and it's um you
0: know, how does that translate like what's the what's the equivalent achievement now? Uh it, you know, like what what's something that a 2021 or 2022 team could do that would be equivalent to that?
1: Same they thing. only allowed two teams to score 30 points. Yeah. <laughs> you I know, mean, we had I, – I think this, uh, this past season's team, I'd have to look it up, but I think allowed approximately 20 points a game or 18-something in there. This is a team in 1968 that allowed 20 points only twice. And a little preview, Dustin – Of the 69 season, they allowed only 20 points once, okay? So that's pretty impressive, but also what they had to deal with during that time, and I'm old enough where I do remember the 68 and 69 teams. Back then, football was so regional, and you didn't have every game on television. You were lucky if one or two of your team's games were on T V, but Penn State in 1968 in the regular season did not play one ranked team. Could you imagine that today?
0: Oh there'd be there'll be um an outcry about that big time. I mean to, to play to play zero ranked teams. And you know, I, I think that just kind of speaks to where football is now and, and really where the game was starting to go then. That's what's so fascinating about this time is that, yes, this this stuff, it probably wasn't all that uncommon for a team from the Northeast to not get a chance to really play um, ranked teams because of, uh, of just, you know, the way that the game was played back then. But, yeah, and I think that probably factored in. I mean, Penn State has a pretty rich history of, of uh, putting forth teams that deserve national championships that didn't get national championships, and I would suspect uh, that type of fact probably factored into it.
1: Uh, No no doubt about it, and it was, you know, Midwest, Big Ten football, you know, some of the West Coast teams. The the Southwest Conference was coming into its own at this time, and we're going to get to some stories there. But the 68 season, they're undefeated. I think they reached, like, number two or three in the country. But you then also had to understand what would happen in the bowl games. So the Rose Bowl was always the Pac-8, Pac-10, Pac-12, whatever they were during that time, versus the Big Ten. The Cotton Bowl was the winner of the Southwest Conference. Um, The Orange Bowl, Penn State as an independent, might be able to play in the Cotton Bowl or play in the Orange Bowl, or I think they could also play in the Sugar Bowl. It depend, But at the end of 1968, they got to play in the Orange Bowl against the number six-ranked Kansas Jayhawks. Could you believe that they were a conference champion at that time? And it was the first-ranked team they played all year. Tight game. Penn State was behind 14-7 in the fourth quarter. They score a touchdown very late in the game to make it 14-13. No overtime at the time. Either play for the tie, or Mr. Conservative, Joe Paterno, he played for the win. They went for two, and they didn't make it. And Kansas had 12 men on the field. Penn State got a retry. They converted the two-pointer. They ended up winning the game 15-14, and were Orange Bowl champions, undefeated team, they weren't number one, but this is the first time, not the last time, Penn State would have an undefeated team and not finish number one in the country, which, by the way, foreshadowing, it will be a common theme as we do our show of Penn State through the decades. Dustin, we're going to pick this up in quarter number four, and we're going to talk about that 1969 undefeated team, a lot of stories with them. This is Jim from Keystone Sports. You know a lot has changed about State College but one thing that hasn't is W.C. Clark's Coffee Roasters on Calder Way. 30 different varieties of specialty coffee beans sourced from over 25 countries and roasted with love each morning in Happy Valley for over 45 years. We'll ship our fresh roasted coffee from our doorstep to yours. That's right you can now order online at statecollegecoffee.com so go to statecollegecoffee.com and use discount code KSN at checkout.